Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I hope I have something to say that might benefit you in some way. What, what I've got this uh, stirring in my mind was I was watching a movie, and the, it was the hero of the movie had made a mistake. And he was going, he was just rife with guilt about this mistake. And one of his friends came up and goes, hey, you're only human. What does that even mean to us? What does your only human even mean to us today? You know, there's certain characteristics that make us human. There are certain characteristics that innately make us human. And one of those is we all have weaknesses. We all have things that are weaknesses in our lives. We're not strong in everything. This morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the story of Gideon and show God's strength made perfect through weakness. You know, as humans, we all have weaknesses. If it's something we all have, it's something we all have to deal with. Nobody can say, I, I, my, everything is my strength. You know, when you go in an interview for a job, some of the questions generally go, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses? And I was, uh, my sister was taking a college class for her master's degree, and part of it was doing interviews to get uh, Anyway, she got a job at the Eisenhower birthplace. I can't remember what it's called, sorry, the word slipped my mind. But she got a job there, and one of the things was they helped her with her resume and with her interview skills to do this. And they said the biggest mistake when they get asked the question about strengths and weaknesses, they have this big, long list of strengths, and they have zero weaknesses on their list. And the interviewer automatically knows, that's not true, because I know everybody has a weakness somewhere. But God's strength can be made perfect through weakness. You know, Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith. After he's listed all these people, he said, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. He listed all these people and he goes, If I went into these, I wouldn't have time to do it. Well, we're going to go into the story of Gideon today and show how God's strength was made perfect through weakness. You know, God, ever since he had brought the children of Israel out of the land of captive, out of Egypt, he had made them a promise. In Deuteronomy 11, 26-28, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And throughout the whole, throughout all the Old Testament, you can see Israel yo-yoing with that. They'd be good for a while, and then something would draw them away, and God would punish them, and then they'd call on the name of the God, and they'd be good for a while. Well, the time that we're talking about is one of those times where it's a bad time for Israel. They had gotten away from serving God and judges. What they had started to do is worship a god named Baal. And Baal was a false god that they had built altars to, monuments to, statues to, and they worshipped. But the worship was very immoral. There was many sexual immoralities that went on with the worship of Baal. I'm not going to get into any of the specifics. You can go look up some of that. But it was not a very good thing to worship him. So God caused the Midianites to come in on Israel. And if you read the first part of Judges chapter 6, which I'm not going to get into this morning, read all that this morning, 
It talks about what they did to Israel. They came in and basically took any natural resource and anything that can sustain life and took it for themselves. And Israel was in need. They were hungry. All the grain they had was taken by these people. They were taking anything they could get their hands on. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard this cry. And we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is of Oreph, which belonged to Josiah and Azurite, while the son of Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he's trying to hide what food he has from these people because he knows they'll take it if they find it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God comes to him and says, You're a mighty man. You're going to do great things. He goes, If you're really going to bless me, why is this happening? And you know, I heard all these stories about you bringing us through the Red Sea, about bringing us out of Egypt. Why are you doing this to us? It takes a little bit of guts, in my opinion, to talk to God that way. If you're with us, why are you doing this? Well, God answers, and verses 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. God was impressed with his might. He goes, man, you got some might to you. And ye shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and ye shall defeat the Midianites as one man. When God tells him to go and do it, he's like, all of a sudden, that vigor he had kind of goes away. He goes, How am I going to do this? How am I going to be the one to go and save us from the hands of the Midianites? I'm of the least of my people. This, shouldn't be, this isn't going to happen. So he starts to shrink a little bit. I can't do this. And then he said to him, if, I, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you talk with me. Do not depart here. Do not Depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering, and I set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. I don't know how many gods Gideon talked to on a regular basis. Because I want you to prove that it's actually God I'm talking to here. Maybe he thought he was having a delusion. I don't know. But he said, I want you to prove to me you're actually God before I take on this task. And he goes, if you'll wait here for me, I'll go prepare an offering. And the Lord said, okay, go ahead and prepare it. I'll wait. And what he did is he went into his house and he made meat and he made leavened bread and he made broth. And he brought it out and there was an angel there. And the angel told him, put your meat and unleavened bread on this rock, on the stone. And he did that. And then the angel said, okay, pour the broth over it. And when he poured the broth over it, a fire came and devoured it all. And that was a good enough sign from Gideon at the time. He's like, okay, I can go do this. Well, then God commanded him to go do something. There was an altar of Baal where they worshipped and a wooden statue that they worshipped. And God commanded him, you go tear those down and replace it with an altar to the Lord. And the scripture said he was scared to do it during the daytime. 
He didn't want to be out there in the daytime because he knew these people would be mad if he tore down their uh, altar to their false god. So what he did, he got ten of his servants, and they went at night. And they took the bulls like God had told them, and they destroyed that altar at night. And whenever they woke up in the morning, there was an altar to the Lord there with one of the bulls set upon it, ready to be uh, being sacrificed. And it was probably a good thing he did it at night, because the next part of the story, their men were mad. They're like, we need to kill this guy. He has destroyed our altar to our God, Baal. We need to take care of this right now. One of the men, though, stood up and goes, hey, if he has truly done something against our, against our God, shouldn't we let our God handle it? If our God is really that kind of a God, can't he handle this? Do we have to handle it for him? So his life was spared there, but then he started calling for men to go fight this battle against the Midianites. And he had quite a few that showed up. And if we look in, uh, he, but before he started to go down to battle, he said, I need another sign, God. I need another sign. I want you to show that you're really with me. So what he did, he said, I'm going to take my fleece, and I'm going to put it on this threshing ground. And I want, what I want you to do is in the morning when the dew comes, I want the dew to be only on the fleece and not on the ground around it. Well, when he woke up the next morning, it was just like he had asked. There was dew on the fleece, and the ground around it was dry. Wouldn't that be enough for you? Well, for him, he's like, okay, I want you to do it in reverse now, God. I don't want you to be mad at me, God, but I want another sign. This time when I lay it out, I want the fleece to be dry in the morning and all the ground around it to be wet. So he did that, laid it out that night, went to bed, woke up the next morning. The fleece was dry. All the ground around it was wet. And then he went, and if we read in Judges chapter 7, we'll find out how this battle is going to go. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped besides the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreb in the valley. So they're camped here, and they can see they're to the north of their enemy. But God had something to tell Gideon. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God started looking around going, You have too many men, Gideon. They can claim that I had nothing to do with this and that their own hand saved them from the Midianites. We're going to have to cut these numbers down. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So if you have 22,000 and 10, you had 33,000 people. That's a good-sized army. But God said, that's too big. So what you're going to do, you're going to say, if any of them are fearful, that they need to leave. So when he said that, 22,000, over half of them said, we're out of here. <laughs> This isn't for me. So now you're saying, okay, I got 10,000 people. Surely this will be enough to glorify God. The people can't surely say, I took out these people with 10,000 men by myself. Well, what did God say after this? But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. He goes, 22,000 people just left me and they're still too many? 22,000 people, the first time you tried to cut the herd, 22,000 of them left and I still have too many men. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that some who I say unto you, 
This one shall go with you, and the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So Gideon gets them down to the water, and God says, I want to see how they drink from this water. If they get on their hands and knees, or if they lap like a dog. Well, 300 men lap like a dog, and God said, set those to the side. Those are going to be the men you're going to go fight the Midianites with. 300 men. Now, I don't know how much you've studied war tactics or not, but most people, when you have 300 men, are going to try to negotiate terms of peace with whatever army they're fighting. 300 men ain't going to go a long way. But that's what God instructed him to do. God instructed him to take these 300 men and leave the rest behind. So whenever he took these 300 men, God had to say to him. God said, hey, you're going to take the Midianites with these 300 men. But if you're still scared, you can take your servant and go into the camp and listen to what they had to say in the camp. Well, Gideon was evidently pretty afraid because he decided to take his servant and go down in that camp. And when he got there, it said that the men were laying on the ground like locusts. And the camels were too many to number like the sands of the sea, at the sea. Now, that's a lot of men and camels. And I'm going to take these guys with 300 men. But he heard one man saying to his comrade, I had a dream last night. And the dream was that this loaf of barley bread rolled in and turned my tent upside down and collapsed it upon itself. And his comrade that heard it said, well, that's the sword of Gideon. So now Gideon's all amped. He goes, okay, God's giving them dreams. We're good to go. He goes up and he commands the men to get torches and pitchers and trumpets. So you're going to go fight men that are like locusts laying on the ground with camels that are too, number, too many to be numbered with torches, pitchers, and trumpets. How's that going to work? But Gideon had seen the signs now, and he was full of faith. And he goes, we're going to go down there, and you're going to do exactly what I do when I do it. So they got down there. They busted the pitchers, had the torches going, blowing the trumpets. Have you ever been waking up from a dead sleep from something like that? What's the first thing that happens? You don't know where you're at. You don't know what's going on. All you know is there's some great noise, and you're trying to figure out what it is. Well, the men in the camp did the same thing, but the problem is they started killing each other. And then they retreated. And then in chapter 8, if you go ahead and read chapter 8 of Judges, it talks about Gideon chasing them out and chasing them out, eventually getting them out of the land of Israel. Well, we went through this story now. Where does the weakness come in? Well, I think there's weakness on two fronts here. Number one, Gideon was a pretty fearful guy. <laughs> he required two different signs on the fleece, one sign from an angel, and then to go down in the camp and hear what was going on. That doesn't sound like a guy that's just overly boisterous, ready to go do this. He sounds like he's pretty afraid. He, he sounds like the fear might get the better of him at some points in this story. You remember how he is in the first story where he's telling God, why are you punishing us like this whenever you bust us so much? And eventually you see that bravado get lower and lower and lower as he's going, okay, I started out with 33,000 men. That's good. Okay, now I'm down to 10,000. That's okay. 300? And you want me to go take on men that are laying there like locusts? And you can't even count the camels they have? He was pretty fearful. The second weakness that comes into play is the size of his army. 
There is no way any army tactician would say it's a good thing to go against that many people with 300 men without a single weapon. I guess you might be able to burn them with one of the torches they had. I don't know. Bust the pitcher over their head, maybe. I don't know. But to go down there with a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch to fight that many men, nobody would say that's a very good, going to have a very good outcome. People would look at that army and laugh. But Gideon, through the faith and through the signs that God gave him, did it. You know, we all have weaknesses. Fear is a big one. Fear will cause you to do things you wouldn't normally do. Fear is a very big one. And if we look in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9, this is where I get part of the title from. Unless I should be exalted above measure by this abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, we all have... Here Paul's talking about a thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what the thorn in the flesh is. People will speculate it may have been his eyesight. It may have been something else. But he asked God three times to remove it from him. And God said, No. My grace is sufficient. My strength will be made perfect in weakness. You know, in this country, we're living in very perilous times. It can be a fearful thing to be a Christian at these times. You get called a racist. You get called homophobic. There's many things that they do to try to slander your name. Is it anything new to Christianity? No. Is it anything new to God's people? No. God's people has been going through this ever since. There was God's people. There may be a time where it gets worse. We don't know. There may be a time where you can be arrested or even put to death. Are we going to let our weakness be made perfect through God? You know... I'm sure all the martyrs in the first century weren't really all gung-ho to be martyrs. I'm sure there was some fear there. But you know what's amazing if you read the accounts of the historians from the day? They're amazed at how these people went to their death singing songs of praise to their God and praying. That's the strength there. That's the strength that God can give you. The peace of mind to know that I don't have to fear the man that can take my life, but I fear the being that can take my life and my soul forever in hell. Whatever they do to my body here is going to be worth that home in heaven with Jesus. And through our weaknesses, we can show the perfect strength of God, the complete strength of God. The only problem is, are we going to let our weaknesses overtake us or are we going to be overtaken by the strength of God those are the two options whenever it comes down to that are we going to be so fearful that the fear overtakes us or our weaknesses overtake us whatever the weakness may be that you feel like could overtake you or are we going to allow the strength of God to overtake us knowing that no matter what happens no matter 
how bad it gets, no matter what my weakness is, with God on my side, it can turn into a strength. No matter what. You know, there was a famous quarterback played for Florida, played, kind of skipped around the NFL. His name was Tim Tebow. And people made fun of him because of all the stuff he did. But that's not what I'm going to talk about on the field, the kneeling and all that. That's not what we're going to talk about. But after he retired, he had an opportunity to go speak at a Baptist church about his beliefs. Because he's a Baptist. If you know anything about him, you know he's a Baptist and he'll go around and speak at different Baptist churches. But the problem is this time he didn't. And you know why he didn't? He was getting pressure from the world today because the preacher at that church spoke out against homosexuality and they told him he'd be homophobic if he went and did it. And instead of going and doing it and standing up and saying what God said, he decided, well, I'm just going to cave to the pressure and I'm going to just cancel that visit. Now, you can say, well, that's something small. Being called homophobic. But that pressure got to him. It may be a different pressure point for you. I don't know what that pressure point will be. And I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom here, but I feel a persecution is really close to happening. Just by the way that, just the way that I'm reading the times going right now. Are we going to have the, have the power to overcome those, let God overcome our weaknesses through his strength? Are we going to be willing to stand up against, even if it's our own little bunch, standing up against the whole world? God took down a whole army with 300 men, pitchers, torches, and trumpets. You think he can't use his strength through you? Just like he did Gideon? He can. The thing is, are we going to allow it to happen? Are we going to allow ourselves to be overcome by our weaknesses? That's my challenge for you today. The first thing is to identify your weaknesses. We all can't do anything about our weaknesses unless we identify where we're weak at. And you know what? That can be kind of a problem because when we look at ourselves, we don't like to see the flaws. That's not what we like to see. We like to see where I'm doing good and where my strengths are. But be honest with yourself about your weaknesses. And know that through God, those weaknesses can be used to show his perfect strength. And be willing to not let your weaknesses overcome you, but let God's strength overcome your weaknesses. If you've allowed your weaknesses to control you, if you've allowed, whether it be fear or whatever other weakness you have, temptations, falling into temptation, sin, all weaknesses. If you allow one of those weaknesses to overcome you and you want God's strength to help you overcome those weaknesses, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.